Hi, I'm Nikki. I'm a 90s hip hop obsessed, exclamation point loving mother to two boys. I'm a wife and a passionate digital designer. I spend my days doing what I love, which is helping women make money with WordPress, whether that's by designing and developing custom websites or helping teach women how to build their own thriving development studio. I'm here to share with you everything I know, all of the mistakes I've made so that you can take the shortcut to achieving your own version of success. To download my free guide to building your dream life, marketing your services, and booking dreamy high-paying clients as a designer, head to womenwealthwordpress.com forward slash freebie. You are listening to Women Wealth WordPress. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a little heads up. Being that it is a legal episode, of course, we need to add a tiny disclaimer here. This podcast is true and correct at the time of editing, but you know, being that we're in the digital age and this may be lasting well into the future, I do want to recommend that you check with your lawyer before you take anything into consideration. All right, there is some juicy stuff in here, so I'm not going to hang about. Let's get into it. Alrighty. Hey, Tegan. How's it going? Thanks so much for joining me. You are actually my first guest, so it's actually super timely because I feel like this is something that you know, should kind of be the basis of every every business. If you're wanting to set yourself up properly for like long-term and longevity and to have a successful business, I feel like this is a really good place to start. I've got a lot of questions for you and obviously we've worked together on my contracts and I've referred you to other clients as well. So I've probably got a little bit of insight into like how you work yeah. and kind of some things I can share about the process as well as we go. But obviously you're the expert, so I'm going to throw a lot to you no <laughs> as <problem>. we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's start with, so obviously the audience for this podcast will mainly be web developers, but I also think we'll have probably some other people in business because so much of it translates to building any kind of business, if that makes sense, especially like marketing or digital marketing or design. I guess the focus will be web dev. But in terms of talking to a client and kind of if they were coming to you and they were like, okay, where do I start? Like what's the lowdown? What have you got for me? What's the main stuff that you would start with with each client? Sure. So this is actually a question I get a lot because our business focuses primarily on online businesses as well as digital marketing and PR experts, etc. So it's a question that I actually get a lot. So basically when you're in startup stage and you are thinking about creating a website or you're building and you're wanting to grow your business and you're wanting to expand your website or expand your business in some way, you know, a lot of people will say to me, okay, what are the absolute essentials that I need to have? So in terms of looking at your contracts, so if you are selling goods or services in some way, you should have an agreement with your client. And this comes back to, I guess, any type of business arrangement. If you are ever dealing with a person or an entity that is outside of your own entity ownership, you should always think, okay, third party, we need a contract because we may not be on the same page about what I think I'm doing and what they think that I'm doing for them. So if you are ever dealing with, and this is the long and the short of it really, if you are ever dealing with someone outside of your organization, and that includes employees because they are not directly part of your organization, you employ them to provide a service for you. So again, contract. Anytime that they're not involved with your business, you need to think, okay, we need contracts in this situation. So first one would be client contracts if you are delivering any sort of goods and services. But other than that, if you do have a website, people will visit that website and they 
like I've just said, will not be likely part of your entity that owns your business. So inadvertently, you are having other people interact with one of your business assets, which is your website. Mm -hmm. So you should have terms and conditions on your website. Now, that's particularly the case if you have things like blog content, for example, because you want to be able to say to them, okay, I'm making this free content available, but here's what you can do with it. You know, you can't rely on it, for example, Mm -hmm. and limitations around, okay, well, it was relevant and current at the time that I put it up, but there's no obligation on me to immediately update it if it's no longer current or relevant or something changes. So those are sort of the things that you would look to include in your terms and conditions for your website with those third parties that are interacting with your website. Privacy policy is obviously another one if it's applicable. If it's not applicable, then you should still always have a privacy policy for a number of reasons. One being that it can help to increase trust with the parties that are providing you with their information. So you may be more likely to be able to grow an email list, for example, if people are confident in the way that you will deal with their email address when they give that to you and they can read your privacy policy and see what you plan on doing with that. It was selling products and stuff. It's a big one at checkouts and things as well that people kind of look at when they're purchasing, whether a website's trustworthy. So yeah, that's a really good Particularly if they're putting their credit card details directly into your website as opposed to going through a third party like PayPal, for example, because obviously PayPal will have their own privacy policy because they're redirected to that page. So, you know, that's another thing that comes into your website terms and conditions as well is that there may be links on your website that will take you to somebody else's website and you're not responsible for a the privacy practices adopted by that business or you know if their website has an issue that you know ends up with you having a virus that's also not your liability just because they access that through your website definitely and if you didn't have that on your website like you didn't have a clause about that could you know it's pretty far-fetched and like I guess this is the point of law is that you mm. kind of want to cover yourself for everything that's far-fetched yeah. uh, could someone come to you and sue you for linking you to a website that wasn't trustworthy for example I mean they could try anyone can try to sue you for anything that they yeah. feel that you've wronged them in some way so yeah. this is what this is what happens we're always trying to mitigate our risk so anyone can sue you at any time even if you have a contract like if if they've got an avenue to sue you if they've got you know a claim that they could make they could bring that claim even if you have a contract in place but you know at that point if you do have that contract in place you can produce that contract and say you know you were contractually bound to comply with this agreement and this is what it says so it's just adding layers of protection to your business operations to ensure that if you are ever exposed to some sort of claim we've got a leg to stand on. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. that's that's the reason really for having them. And I mean, some people go to great lengths to have everything that they need, but then, you know, they never actually need it. Nobody ever sues them. And, and yeah. that's, that's fine as well because kind of Murphy's law that if you didn't have it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I do see a lot of people that will, you know, go to you know, they'll have a reason why they've initially had to put it in place. For example, you know, maybe they're a web developer, they've been operating off, you know, just a handshake deal or some, you know, emails back and forth about what they'll do. And then all of a sudden they get burnt by a client and then they decide, okay, I need to, you know, go to a lawyer and have a contract prepared. And then as it would happen, they'll never need to have to pull it out and produce it to try and prove themselves again. And partly because, you know, a client is able to look at it and go, well, why am I going to sue them? I knew that that was the case, like I'm going to lose. So it also becomes a little bit of a deterrent from somebody wanting 
to cause you trouble in terms of not complying with something or, you know, try and ask for something extra that they weren't entitled to by having that in place. It's a bit like a warning sign. And also as well, I guess at the start when you're onboarding, just having those things, it just automatically makes you appear more legit and more professional. That's right. It's kind of, again, that barrier thing that it makes, it makes you seem like you've got everything in order. Even if you don't know what half the stuff in your contract means, you know, you've had someone prepare it for you. You've Mm. had the consultation where you kind of talk about what you do and Mm. what it needs to cover you for. Yeah. And so it just means you've done that groundwork, which starts a project off on the right foot, I think. Yeah. And I guess you should know what it means as well, because this is another issue that I have with templates. Sometimes people will buy a template and they have no idea what half of it means or, you know, (laughs) what their own obligations are underneath it. And, you know, you're going to breach it and especially if you don't even know what your obligations are. The whole point of it is that when you are having a client come to you, you're proposing your terms, you're laying it all out on the table. The expectations are all set out. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. This is what you have to pay. This is what my liability is. It's all there. So it's a bit of a, you know, they can look at it and decide whether or not they want to do business with you on those terms. And if they don't, they can choose to either try to negotiate your terms with you or they can Mm. go to another service provider. And I can assure you if they have an issue with it and you're not willing to negotiate on the point that they have, they go to another service provider, it was probably going to end up a headache for you anyway because they were always going to come at you with the expectations that they had. And at that point, you've already provided the service and then you're ending up in a dispute situation. So, you know, it also helps you avoid those problem clients, if I can call them that, that you were just never the right fit for them. And because you hadn't communicated the fact that, you know, what your terms were, they didn't realize that you weren't the right fit and you didn't realize that they weren't the right fit for your business as well. Also, when you mentioned the fit thing, I had a client recently last year and I think he wanted to change about 12 points in my contract. Yeah. Yeah. And I came back to you and I was like, okay, I just want to check in with you. Like, this is a massive red flag for me. Mm. And you you had kind of basically gone through everything and been like, this is a business decision. Mm. Like, it's not really a legal thing either way it was like it's up to you if you want to take on that risk or if you want to amend that point and Mm. it was really like it was just so good because it just gave me this layer of red flags to be like actually if this is the first stage like most people just get the contract and they just accept it and that's the easiest part of the process in my opinion so to have that like layer there and I remember at the time it was a really big job I think it was around twelve thousand dollars and I just said look I'm not willing to to bend on all of those things Mm. and it was it was quite ridiculous things like rounds of reviews and Mm. scope and things like that and I was like if you're pushing the boundaries of what's included now like I can only imagine what it's going to be down the track and while you say you know it was a twelve thousand dollar job with all the scope creep that probably came with it it probably should have been a much larger job by the time you get to the end and then you know you've actually ended up doing twenty five thousand dollars worth of work for that 12 that you could have you know worked with two other clients and got that exactly Yeah, that's a really good point. That's one of the things I know I do have in my contract because I worked with you really closely on it was having scope in there to charge extra if Mm. it's above what's agreed upon. And I'm pretty clear with the agreed upon items in each of my web packages. So yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. And I I think, think, you know, going through the process of putting those contracts in place and you're probably someone that can comment on that, Nikki, is it really sort of makes you turn your mind to what you do want to do and what you don't want to do. And, you know, actually having that 
that idea up front because sometimes when I speak to businesses, when they are going through the process of putting their terms and conditions in place, they even aren't clear on, you know, what the way that they want to deliver the service. And if that's the case and you have a client coming to you and you don't even know what your own terms are or, you know, what terms you want to provide your goods and services on, then of course the client doesn't know what to expect because you don't even know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that can lead to drag projects dragging out Mm. and so much scope creep and ongoing issues and people coming back to you three months down the track saying, oh, this wasn't done. And, you know, you're like, well, that's not really a part of what it is, but (laughs) Yeah. But again, they don't like, they don't know that as someone who's coming to you to have a service performed that they don't know how to perform themselves. They don't know that that's not typically part of, you know, what would be involved with a development. It may be something that's completely outside of that. If they think that, you know, automatically it comes with a free set of terms and conditions and privacy policy, that's obviously outside of scope, but you know, they may not know that because they see other websites and they see that they have those things. So it's just being clear what is within scope and what's out of scope. And mm-hmm. it's also important for consumers to remember as well as business owners that every business provides services and goods on different terms. So yeah. it's fine for one business to say yeah, that something's out of scope that is within scope for another business because that's totally. the way that they've structured their packages. Yeah. And that comes back to that importance of having your contracts custom to what you actually do rather Absolutely. than Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Super interesting. Okay. So what kinds of things like for a web dev business or like you say, you work with PR companies and all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things, what are kind of like the standard clauses that you would recommend including? So obviously if they're coming to you because they want something specific, you need to set out in your terms what it is that they get. Mm-hmm. So you, and how I see a lot of businesses do it, particularly service-based businesses, because for goods, it's a lot easier to have a set of terms and conditions on their website for their trade that is going to cover all of their goods because they're all sort of delivered on the same sort of terms. The difference is the price and and what they are and they spell out what they are clearly, hopefully, on their website. When it comes to services, there can be, depending on what services you provide, different terms on which you need to provide them because for some things it's relevant and for some things it's not. So how I usually see a service-based business do it is they will have a standard set of terms and conditions which sets out all the things that apply on every single job. And then they will have, for example, a quote form or a work order or something that is custom specifically for each client every time they have a client come to them, which sets out those things like scope, like timing, like fees that may be different for each job. And that needs to be considered each time. So, you know, scope is always important, but it's not generally something that I write for a client. Generally, Mm -hmm. I will give them a form that enables them to customize that form each time. And it then ties into their general terms and conditions around things like invoicing and payment of invoices, et cetera. Yeah. So scope is very, very important. Similar is payment terms. So, you know, you're agreeing to provide a service or goods to somebody else, you expect to be paid for that. So, you know, typically payment is common. So whether it's 
seven days, 14 days. It's different for every business. Some businesses trade on 30 days. These are the sort of questions that I will generally ask a client when they come to me to create their trading terms and conditions is how are you doing it now? Like when you send an invoice out to a client, talk me through the process. Do you send them monthly? Do you send them at certain stages of a job? Do they pay up front? Do they pay a deposit and then the balance at the end? Like I was saying before with scope, it's different for every business. So again, from a client's perspective, whilst they've dealt with a web developer who might've charged them on a monthly basis, you as a new web developer may charge them an entirely different way. So making sure that they're aware of that upfront is important because it's different to what they're used to. So setting that all out. And then if you expect to be able to send them an invoice at the end of the month, then they should know that invoice is coming and be ready to pay it. Yeah, totally. And a lot of us are freelancers, that kind of cash flow is super important. So having that clear and being paid on time is so important because it's for a lot of us how we feed our family and all of Mm. those things. So yeah. And also fitting in your jobs, obviously, because you've only got so much time in the day and you've got clients that are sort of stacking up to do a two-week project or a three-week project or a five-week project you need to be able to allocate your time according to that and this is the next point if they want to move that timeline around to sort of say we're having a slow month I want to put it off a month or you know can we put it off six months and all of a sudden you've got five weeks that you allocated for a job that no longer wants to go ahead you know that all works into your cash flow and your time frame Mm -hmm. as well so you need to have terms around that around timing from both ends yeah and deposits and refunds and all that fun stuff (laughs) Absolutely. There's so many different parts to it. So these are some of the important things, but obviously for a web developer, intellectual property is a big one because you are creating something for somebody else. And if it's something like a logo, that becomes ideally a business asset for that business. So they may want to be able to trademark that logo, for example. If they don't own it, they can't trademark it. So it's important that if you are intending to go and trademark your logo, that the terms and conditions that they assign the rights to you and usually it comes after you've paid them. So for example, if you have gone and met with a brand designer to create your logo and you decided not to pay them and then you go to trademark your logo, it's probably not yours to trademark. These are all important points in terms of when you assign that ownership over or if you assign that ownership over and on what terms that you do so and when you assign it over. Intellectual property is an important one and you'll probably find most businesses that are having a designer create something for them will want full rights to it, but it should be obviously after they've paid their designer for that. Totally. Yeah. And I just had a client yesterday text me actually and say, hey, just checking if my logo's trademarked. (laughs) (laughs) Again, scope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, definitely not, exclamation point. That's a job for a lawyer. Here, yeah. I've got a great one. I actually sent him your details. So. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think that's a common misconception about ownership and things like that as well. So, like, even I know you do free consultations, but even having a chat with a lawyer just to kind of get mm. an idea of where you sit and what you kind of need to be aware of. And, like, like you say, for branding, it's different. For web dev, it's different. Like, there's so many nuances, like, with every Absolutely. industry that yeah you really have to be across just to protect yourself so and again I yeah. think it's an issue with the templates when they 
by a template that has been created on a general basis. So, you know, whoever drafted that template for some reason believed that that is the way that most people do business, Mm. right or wrongly. And you've just decided to buy that template. So you've basically decided that your business is going to operate. However, that lawyer thinks that typically that business operates. The other issue is, you know, even if you buy a template and then you go and tailor it yourself, do you know what you're doing when you're customizing it? And this is also, you know, if you're even naughtier than that and go and steal somebody else's off their website mm. or something, don't even get me started on that. But yeah. basically, <laughs> A, you don't know if they've had a lawyer draft it and yeah. B, if they bought a template, did they then go and customize it and then you're taking it and customizing it again yeah. and then all of a sudden you have a really rotten. <laughs> if you're buying a template, not only are you either A, agreeing to do your job on the basis that somebody else has written without your instructions, but then B, if you go and then change it, it's probably not right anymore. So just a few things to be aware of. But I mean, there's some of the key points. Obviously, you know, your limitations is important. So like you have just said, you know, you're not providing any legal advice. So that's a limitation. Mm. You would need to, obviously, for each business, you know, you're probably not going to need that limitation if you're selling, you know, toy rattles on a website as a good Mm. so that's why it's important to look at what your business does and look at okay well what are some of the things that people might think that I'm doing that I'm actually not intending to and I should disclaim that add that as a limitation that that's not something that I do as part of my service and then so I think you mentioned this as well but what about like in terms of disagreements and things like that like where it goes sour so what would you include in a contract to kind of protect you in that way so you can limit your liability in terms of claims by putting in there what happens if a dispute arises so rather than someone just immediately trying to sue you you can put for example that you know they have to first use efforts to mitigate any disputes that arise so you can sort of contractually agree how you will deal with a dispute if they arise and if that dispute does then arise, you know, hopefully you've saved yourself some legal costs and not having to defend a claim that shouldn't have been brought to start with. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. And in saying that as well, I guess probably one of the main barriers, would you say for people doing something like this at the start, like getting all their contracts in order would be the cost? Absolutely. I 100% think that A, you know, it may be a big part of the cost, but I also think it's time and knowledge as well. So, when people start a business, there's often so many things to think about and they're wearing all the hats totally. and they haven't even given thought to the fact that, oh, I should actually, you know, I need a contract here or I should put some terms around this if it's, you know, a competition on social media. There's so much that people yeah. sort of see somebody else do something and think, oh, I can just throw up a caption and that's it. That's my competition terms and yeah. it's not. so Or it won't happen to me or, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm just small fry. Like. <laughs> oh, I can't tell you how many, you know, freelancers I've spoken to that when I've said to them, you know, what do you have in place with your client at the moment? And they've said, oh, nothing. I've just been doing work for them for years. We've got an understanding between us. That's the issue. When a dispute arises, then you've got nothing to stand on other than maybe some emails that have gone back and forth five years ago. It's probably not going to give you the protection that you need. Totally. And I think especially in terms of like technology, there's so much that's out of our control. Mm. Uh, So this is one I I came back with you recently. Obviously, I think we worked together about a year and a half ago and originally set my contracts up. But after doing it for a while, I started to get more and more into like kind of knowing the ins and outs of what my clients need to be aware of. Mm. And one of those things is like hacking and Mm. backups 
things like that. So we had to go back and revise the contract and add in some clauses about what happens if your site gets hacked and, Mm. you know, that it's not my, like, I can't control, you know, there's governments that get hacked. There's like... little of me in Australia building a website you know I can't prevent those things I can do the best practice to try and mitigate the risks but at the end of the day if someone really really wants to hack into your site there's so many ways you know Mm. so uh, there's in terms of that I guess like what would you recommend people come back to you to have their contract updated when would you recommend or I think if you're ever thinking about changing what goods or services that you provide so for example if you are a web developer and then all of a sudden you decide to start selling digital products on your website you've got a different game there's this real tendency for courses and stuff now as well like if you decide to take the knowledge that you have and funnel that into a course that you sell and that's not customized for each individual client you have that's different terms again so you know the way that you deliver your service and the types of services that you deliver if anything changes on that front you should always think okay well I don't really have terms to cover this or I should yeah. you know it, at least look back at my terms and see if they do sort of extend to cover this yeah. could I say that those terms were applicable to this of course if they are applicable to it you should be saying that they're applicable to it when you're selling those other things just making sure obviously if you're making any changes in your business then you may need to change your legal agreements as mm. well yeah, that's obviously yeah, a big so one. good to have someone on speed dial. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So I guess what if you're working with a client, like I think you mentioned before, that you can have one contract that covers like all of the different services that you offer. Mm. Uh, when you work on a different project and you're offering them a different service, but it's kind of covered in that initial contract from a previous project, do they need to go through that process with you again? Or how you do, mean how like retainers work? or... So, for example, like if I had a brand client and they agreed to my contract and I gave them like a proposal that outlined the specifics of this project and then like six months down the track they wanted to do a website or they wanted to do an SEO package or something like that, would they then have to agree to the contract again for that project? Yeah, look, I think they would because you would go through the process of doing your scope again. So just as part of your scope document, you would have a a reference to link into your standard terms and conditions. So whilst you wouldn't need to necessarily go and do anything with your standard terms again, you would just be giving them a new scope document which said, you know, for this job, this is what's included, this is what's not included, these are the fees, these are the timelines, etc. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of our standard terms and conditions. So that they would almost enter into them again because it's a new contract because yeah. the other one has completed because you've provided all of the services. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one to know. But from a from a flip side, if you're thinking more retainer perspective. So this is where you sort of get a client who you're providing some services to every month or, you know, it's intended from the start that you're going to be providing ongoing services. You Mm -hmm. can do a situation where you basically have a retainer agreement and under that retainer document, it sets out that basically work orders can be issued. It's basically the master agreement that sort of sets out every time we do work together, these are the terms that we do it and that we'll agree the scope and the timeframes and the fees for that work in a work order each time you want us to do a piece of work. So those work quite well for jobs where you might sort of have someone every 
three or four months come up and go, hey, can you make a change to this? Or can you, you know, do this additional piece of branding for me? Or can you, you know, do another website for me or something? Yeah. So when you say work order, what does that look like? Can that be an email or? It looks a bit like a quote form. So yeah, it, I mean, it'll be different for every business. So you will have like your master agreement or your retainer agreement, which will actually refer to these work orders or people call them all different things. Sometimes, sometimes people call them purchase orders. You'll see in government contracts, they're called purchase orders. But you can actually set out in your agreement that it can be agreed by email in terms of the scope, the fees, the deliverable dates, et cetera, and any limitations. But just keep in mind with email, it's a little bit more who's actually authorizing you to do that work. If you, yeah. you know, it's a little bit, you're better off having a signature on something, but email yeah. can be okay. It's just not the best position. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, I might need to this, talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is the other thing. Like, there's all different ways that you can contract with your clients as well. Yeah. So, it's not just, you know, you create a set of trading terms and conditions and that's it. You move on. Um, yeah, yeah. Business may evolve such that, you know, someone really likes the work you're doing and they want to work with you on an ongoing basis. And if you want to not have to enter into a new contract for every piece of work you do, you can look at this other structure where you sort of have this ongoing sort of master agreement between you. With yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. Cause it's something that I do in my business. Often when I close out a project, I'll offer my clients like a bulk pack of hours, like say 10 hours at a discounted rate. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of draw that down over six months. So at the moment I'm just doing that, that one through email, but I might have to look at a better process or like a ticketing system or something like that. Yeah. That's a really good point that I didn't even hadn't even thought of. So yeah, super interesting. Mm. What about in terms of like their clients? Like, what do you think web developers need to know that their clients need? Like, if you're building a website or something, is there anything that you kind of should be saying? Like, does a client need to have a privacy policy? And if so, if you go live without a privacy policy, who's liable? And all those kinds of things. Like, what do we need to know here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you're saying we're not providing any legal advice, then providing advice on your legal obligations would be providing you with legal advice. So, you know, if you are not telling them that they need a privacy policy, but, you know, you're not required to because you're not a lawyer and this is outside of your usual scope, then you would have that in there as that's one of our limitations on our services. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I guess you think through when you're creating your agreements. Okay, so what are the common things that arise on a typical job for me? What are some of the things that people might think that I do do that I don't do? Or, you know, where might my trips and traps be? And then we put terms around that to sort of protect you. Ah, okay. So do clients need privacy policies? <laughs> this is something that came up for me recently. I think it depends. Hey? Yeah, it depends. So if they, you know, everyone should really have one because yeah. for the, some, you know, for one reason that I sort of mentioned at the start, people are probably going to trust you more with their personal information if they know how you're going to use it. So yeah. that's important. You also need to look at where you're doing business. So if you're only doing business with Australian clients, then if you, you know, you need to look at what laws apply to Australian clients. Mm. So in this situation, you'd be, if you are doing business in Australia, you'd be looking at the, you know, the Privacy Act within Australia and seeing, okay, am I required? Under the Privacy Act, certain businesses are required to do certain things if they are what we call an APP entity. So basically, if the Privacy Act covers you, you will need to do certain things. And one of those things is to have a privacy policy. So Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to know if the Privacy Act 
will apply to you. You can actually jump on the a OAIC website and there's a little survey on there that you can do that will tell you whether or not you're likely to need to comply with the Privacy Act. Oh, so okay. yeah, so basically small businesses, so what's classified as a small business is with an annual turnover of less than three million operating in Australia. So if you are over three million dollars <laughs> if you're over three million dollars then you know straight away you need to have a privacy policy and where you're going to be an entity that the privacy act is going to cover now if you are under three million dollars but you do certain things in your business you will also be required to have a privacy policy so that might be for example if you are trading in personal information and when I say trading in personal information if you are creating or compiling a list of email addresses to then go and sell to somebody another business to use in their own marketing for example or you are a health service provider so there's a whole list of other businesses who even if they are a small business so regardless of their turnover they will be covered by the privacy act so you can find out though you know the full list of that on the oaic website yeah, that goes around all the time. Is like you need a privacy policy, and the thing that concerns me with that is that like a lot of, and I have heard this happen in the industry. A lot of people I know will refer their clients to something like iLegal One Two Three, and they'll say, "Go get a template, and mm. you know, just put that on your website, just so you have it because it's a legal requirement." So yeah, like I think we shouldn't be advising our clients where to get things, you know, and telling them how to do that type of thing. They should be speaking mm. to a lawyer. But B, as we've talked about, those those templates might not cover them anyway. Mm. And C, it might just be a waste of money because you might not need it. Yeah. <laughs> but like you say, you should have it, but it should be tailored to what you actually do. And I remember when we went through the contract process, the privacy policy was the one that we actually had to kind of sit down and you had to say like, how yeah. do you store information? Do you have cookies? Do you have Facebook pixels? Like what kinds of things are you using to capture data? Yeah. So it was really, really comprehensive, that one. Look, I think that the thing with it is that if you are required to have one, you are certainly required to comply with it. So, you know, if you're thinking that you're going to get one, not even read it, whack it up on your website and you've met your legal obligations, even, you know, without giving any thought as to Mm -hmm. whether or not you're required to have one, you're probably not not because A, (laughs) you don't know what your own obligations are and therefore you can't comply with them. Or B, it it just may not be practical for your business to handle privacy in the way that that lawyer that was drafting that template randomly thought that that's how businesses typically do it. So it's actually quite important to sit down and go through the questions about what needs to be covered in your privacy policy to sort of say, okay, you know, what kind of information is my business going to collect that's personal information from people and store it? And that is going to be different for every type of business. So, you know, if you're a hair salon, the type of information that you collect is probably going to be different than a, you know, a doctor surgery. So you need to look at what is it that you're collecting and why do you need to collect it and how are you mm-hmm. going to use and disclose it and how are you going to store it? Like these, it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. not just updating the business name on the, on the Absolutely. list of copy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So I think it's just important, like every contract, you know, you need to know what's in it and it needs to reflect the way that you do business. So if you're just buying a template and you're not reading it, you're not making sure that if you buy a privacy policy and it says that you delete information after six months, but in fact, you retain it for two years, you're not complying with your own privacy policy. (laughs) Totally. That's a really good one. Okay, so have there been any instances that you've seen like contracts let people down or like really protect them kind of in a sticky situation? Yeah, I think, you know, I've had some people come to me and had absolutely nothing in place and obviously having nothing in place and then they're saying, well, my client now wants to totally change the scope of the job, which means all the work that I've done is thrown out the door and we basically have to start again. And I can't actually deliver what it is that they want me to deliver. I have had that exact inquiry before. And it's unfortunate because, you know, it comes back to then we then have to then pull out every piece of correspondence that's passed between you and them, every variation you might've discussed, all the verbal arrangements that you've had. That's a much bigger process to have to go through all of that and then have to actually argue out on what terms you agreed to provide the service and what what variations you had actually agreed to do along the way. That's quite a big job, especially for, you know, a project that's been running for six months or 12 months or whatever. And, you know, these ones that are in dispute typically have dragged out for a long time, for example, and they've just had a job just go really badly or they've had someone within their business agree to do something else and it just becomes complicated and it doesn't need to be that complicated. You should have in your agreement if you want a variation. It doesn't vary our contract until I agree that it varies our contract. So you have a discussion about it and then you agree in writing what the variation is. So if if the variation is to add an extra three pages to the site and you will do that in a month and it will cost them X dollars more and this is what those pages are going to be about and what's required for those pages. That all gets put in writing and agreed between you. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) so obviously not having anything in place is probably some of the biggest inquiries we get. But then also you might get someone who will come and say, have this obscure request am I required to do it? And then we go back to the contract and see, okay, well, did we ever anticipate this was going to happen and did we cover it off? Yeah. Obviously making sure that your contract is as comprehensive as it can be without being too off-putting to the client. So you obviously don't want a 300-page contract. That was one thing I really liked about the contract I got from you. Yeah, Um, because if, I mean, if there's too much jargon, the client probably hasn't understood it anyway. And then you're probably (laughs) going to have a higher chance of a dispute because they don't, they didn't know that that's what they were agreeing. And then even though you're right, because your contract says that, you know, what the position is, if they don't understand it, they're probably going to dispute it, which means you have to put time and money into defending it. And that is, you know, not ideal. So the clearer your contracts are, the less likely you are going to be to have disputes. Yeah. And that just comes back to, I guess, doing it right at the start, because if you don't, then you have the issue arise. You have to pay for that. You have to pay for your lawyer's Mm -hmm. time, probably in a rush. You potentially have to do extra work for the client or refund them or whatever it is. And then, you know, had that expensive lesson, you still probably are going to decide that the contract is important at that point. So it's one of those things, if you just do it right from the start. Mm. I also think like in this business, like for you as well, because you're a service provider, we don't have the cost of like a brick and mortar store. We don't have the cost of like outlaying for a hundred thousand dollars worth of product to set up a business from the start. Yeah. So our expenses become getting yourself set up in a way that's going to present you as professional from the start. That's so right. yeah. Yeah. I just think 
again, you know, most people are happy to buy the new iPhone when it comes out for like $2,000 or $3,000. So it's just really what you prioritize, I guess. And if you haven't had that experience, it is hard to then be like, okay, this is something I need to prioritize. But like you say, it's generally not until it's too late that those issues come around. So it's just better to... (laughs) to go all in I think it's a little bit like accounting as well right so when you go to your accountant at the start of the year and you set up a business plan and a budget that's a job that you have to do at the start that you may not see an immediate return on like you would for your marketing efforts for example paying your marketing team but when you sort of get to the end of the year you realize actually it was quite a good investment because it meant that we did things properly that year and that we were able to put enough money aside for certain things and that we didn't have anything come up that caused us massive issues and it's the same with legals like you get the advice up front you get your contracts in place and you minimize your risk I mean that risk never goes away someone may still decide that they want to be difficult or that they think that they're right or they didn't read the contract so they don't even know what it says and then they just cause you a whole bunch of time having to go back and go actually if you look at the contract it says this and and then you know at the end of the day you still may decide to concede and give them what they've asked for anyway because you just want to smooth it over even if you're right and you're you can support that with your contract you may not want to deal with the negative review and having to respond to it and everything so you may still decide just to smooth it over but it's there if you want to go to battle on it yeah coming from it from that perspective as well I think like you can be safe in knowing that you've done your best you've done the right thing you've covered yourself you've done everything you could in that situation and unfortunately you've had a problem client and I think that's probably something we probably all have to deal with yeah. at some point yeah absolutely just gives you that peace of mind I guess that you have that extra level of doing what you're meant to. And I'm sure, Nikki, you can probably, after a year or so of operating with the contract that you've actually thought through and gone through the process with, you've probably had a lot more confident conversations with people about scope and timeframes and fees and limitations and stuff. So it's made your everyday life less stressful and that's somewhat of an investment in itself, you know, like. For me, the thing I've noticed is like getting paid on time. I have no questions with clients paying late, really have to send reminders and things like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that comes down to the type of client I get, but I also think different stages of my process weed out people who are the red flags and one of those is the contract. So mm. um, yeah, I've, I've noticed a huge difference with that. Yeah, That was such a good chat. I, I might have to have a talk to you about some things after. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, what, and like you mentioned, you know, social media competition terms and yeah. like employment contracts. And these are all things like we might have to have another discussion down the track because my business is kind of on the cusp of growing and, you know, hiring and all of those things too. So, Well, that's the thing. Like you have quite a evolving business as well. Like yeah. within this, the, you know, relatively short space of time that you've been operating, you've had such good growth and such, yeah. you know, evolving services and goods that you provide so it you know with that evolves your legal terms as well totally yeah yes I will be in touch (laughs) (laughs) cool okay so before you head off I just have a couple questions I want to ask you so how do you feel being a woman has influenced your business journey? I was saying to you at the start, this is such a controversial one. I feel so weird providing the answer. I think, I think for me personally, having worked with, you know, female lawyers, male lawyers, one thing that I know in myself that I've had to do differently and I've seen other women have to do differently is to be super efficient. I'm making a sweeping generalization here. Typically women 
are the ones that generally will have to take a little bit of time off to have children if they choose to have children. You know, you do have to recover from childbirth at some stage. And, and, you know, they also may decide, again, may not be, it may be the case that they have an amazing stay-at-home dad, but they may decide that they want to take a little bit more time off to raise children. And, you know, they have to be the one to race to kindy at five o'clock and pick people up and get home and baths and dinner. So I just find that typically because um, as a woman I know that I have to be out of the office because I've chosen to be that person who's collecting the kids and providing the primary caregiver's role, I have found that it's not okay for me to go it's okay, I can, you know, cruise a bit today, I'll just stay back late. It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work for me because I have to get to school pickup and kindy pickup by a certain time. I have had to be super efficient in the way that I approach everything with my work. And I've had to also be clear in my goals. So it's also not really been okay for me to sort of float and just sort of not really have much direction for the same mm-hmm. reason. I have less time in the day than some other people might have. I think also like when you're thinking if you want to have more than one child, sometimes you're thinking, okay, I've got a two year window here. I've got to get as Mm. much done as I can because soon I'm going to take, you know, another six months of taking a back step a little bit or 12 months or two years or whatever. For me, I've had to be efficient in knowing, you know, where I want to spend my time and making sure that I'm getting as much work done as I can. And that the time that I'm putting in is having the greatest impact and moving the needle mm. the most, but also also just doing what I enjoy because I think that if you are spending time away from young children, I think it's important for your own mental health to sort of think at least I am enjoying this time and I feel like I am adding value to other people and I feel like there's a reason why I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah it's that thing of like doing what you love and and kind of leaving the rest. But it's funny that you say that like efficiency thing, because I think you have to become more efficient, but you also just become more efficient. Like it's like this new level of superpower that you didn't have before. (laughs) I think that's right. You just manage to multitask a little bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you fit things in and you like kind of plan out little spaces of time to get little things done. And like, these are the things I do with the kids because it doesn't matter if they take a little bit longer and they can help. Or these are the things I do when I'm at work and, you know, yeah, yeah every minute. I think it's like the old saying as well, like if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Like typically (laughs) women are busy people, so they tend to be more efficient because they have to be because we've all only got 24 hours in the day. So, you know, if we've got 28 hours to squeeze into 24, we've got to be more efficient. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I so relate to that. That's. I don't think that's controversial. I totally agree with that. Oh, I'm sure that someone will find it offensive. You can yeah. always offend someone with any comment related yeah. to these things. Uh, totally. Yeah, hopefully they're not listening. Yeah. You're on the wrong um, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully if they do, this will turn them off for the rest of them and then we yeah. can have these discussions. <laughs> Okay, what's one thing you've done to influence your money story? I'm going to be really honest and say that I don't think I've done much. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, okay, so I'm going to, and you're probably going to tell me that there's someone I need to talk to about this, but Mm -hmm. I feel like when I was an employee of another business, I was much more 
confident at saying what my worth was to a client than I am in my own business. I'm far more generous with my time in my own business. I don't really, I'm sure there's some psychological reason to it and I'm sure you can tell me who can tell me who how to fix no, it. I would like to know that <laughs> but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the reason for it. But yeah. I think that, I don't know, I feel more like an agent as an employee than mm. I do as, you know, selling a service that right. I more directly benefit from. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but okay. I probably need to do some work around the Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like, okay, so what you just said about something that you directly benefit from. So mm. that sounds like to me, maybe some work needs to be done around like feeling okay with like being paid for your skills. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because before you said being an agent of someone else. So like maybe if you're like the face of someone else or like you're representing someone else, but someone else is taking the profit. Yeah. That feels more okay with you. Is it? Yeah. Is it right? I yeah. think so. And then I also think that not being, I mean, when you work for someone else, you're typically in a lot of situations working for quite a well-established business and then when you start your own you're also in a building stage so I feel like you're more grateful for everything that comes your way and therefore you're wanting to give more to show that gratitude. I also think that a lot of my clients are in big growth stages and or or their startups so I like to try and give them as much Yeah, I I want to be that support system for them so that when they next think, okay, well, I need to review my terms or I need to do something else, they come back to me because they know that not only did they, you know, get what they wanted, they got that plus, you know, an extra piece of me and that actually tried to provide as much value as possible and go above and beyond. So I think it's also that. That's definitely me as well. But I, it's funny you say that because I've recently, I've had a few projects this year where people have asked me for discounts and I've like, there's been some where I've, they've asked me for ridiculous discounts mm. and I've said no mm. and just because I felt offended. And then there have been some people who it's been like a really big project and they've, you know, had a hard thing happen to them or this or that and they've asked me for a discount. They've been really nice and I've said, okay. And mm. it always leads to me doing more, like you say, mm. like, Doing more and more and more and that scope creep thing like yeah we can have it in our contracts that we don't mm. do scope creep but I think it's a big part of being in business is that you want to do a good job and you want to be happy especially when you're directly dealing with that client mm. um, you always do that a little bit more but I find the times when I have given a discount whether it's small or large or whatever it is I've always felt resentment and so like yeah. a big thing for me recently has been like just in my head repeating like no I do not discount my prices mm. and so there's like there's always like constant levels of confidence and like you say I've had a really great year but there's just always a new level to achieve so yeah (laughs) I'm sure you have done like a lot of work on on your money story but there's just it never ends you know yeah I think I probably have but I haven't actually turned my mind to the fact that I'm doing that work but funny enough I don't think I've ever had a client ask me to discount my fees okay so that's a good maybe that's also why I don't know I think I think I go in with something that I think is quite valuable. Like I don't yeah. I don't ever feel like I'm overquoting. I always feel like yeah. if anything I'm underquoting. So yeah. if somebody ever said to me, "Can I discount it?" like I it would just have to be no because I feel like there is no buffer in it. I'm giving it for what it's worth. And you back up on that. Yeah. And I really also good. think after so many years of practice, like I've been practicing law for 
13 years now. So wow. I think that, you know, I just have a good sense about what things cost. So I know that they're not going to another firm and getting it tons cheaper. And if they are, yeah. I know that they're not getting the same service because if they're getting it a ton cheaper, they're getting a junior lawyer to do it. Especially if they're going to a firm that typically doesn't do that sort of work, I know they're not getting yeah. the same service because they're not skilled in that particular area. I guess I just know my worth and then I'd sort of go on the right end of that. Yeah. Which, yeah, would come. I'm sure you weren't, you wouldn't have been that way straight out the gate. Oh, like, God. You no. know, I wouldn't have had a clue so, what yeah. the charge at the start. I would have just <laughs> yeah. had to ask whoever I was working with. I think like it's one of those things that's test and change and you do a project and, and it's annoying and then you put your mm. prices up and then you put your prices up. And you put your prices up like, yeah, I think the only complicating factor with it has been that I work in an area of law now that is quite a new yeah. area of law. So yeah. I'm applying all of the services that I've provided on a more typical sort of job to a different and evolving new technologies. Whilst the issues remain the same, they are somewhat different as well. So you've got to then factor in, you know, different platform terms and conditions and there's other stuff that you have to factor in. I'm also having to factor in the education piece. So for example, with an influencer agreement, it's difficult for a business to understand the value in it when they didn't even know they needed it. It's not like <laughs> it's not like when you buy a house, you know that you need a standard REIQ contract and that you need, you know, a conveyancer to do the matter yeah, for you. Yeah, it's yeah. a no-brainer. Like that's just yeah. how it's always been done. Totally. But when yeah. it comes to influencers, it's like, well, can can't I just send them an email and like set out yeah. the terms? But you know, you wouldn't think about doing that if you were buying a house. It's another yeah, third no party. <laughs> Email the buyer. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it's around the education in it as well. Oh, and yeah. I feel like you are more likely to discount your fees when you think that the other person doesn't value your service or doesn't yeah, totally. understand the importance of your service. It's just really knowing the worth of it and being able to explain the worth of it yeah. to support what you intend to charge for it. Yeah. Yeah, and your points of difference too. So yeah. yeah. And for me, the podcast is a very good way to educate on the need. So yeah. I'm finding, you know, the longer the podcast has been around, the less I'm needing to educate each individual. Oh, that's so good. I'll pop a link to your podcast in the show notes too, because I like your podcast as well. It's super helpful. <laughs> cool. And so as well, last thing. So you've got a WordPress website, mm-hmm. which I built for you. Yeah. <laughs> What's like, do you have any tips about usage or like what have you found since using it? Because you add all your own blogs. I'm so impressed with how much content you add or you know, like a fun plugin or anything like that that you've kind of come across? I think just being able to edit it and to be able to know how it works. Like yeah. I feel like like I jump in there every couple of days and I actually love getting in there and seeing if there's any updates because it, yeah. it's something I find <laughs> it important. like highly exciting that I see an update that I can click yep update and then there's no more red red bubbles (laughs) yeah that's right I don't I don't know I feel like just one thing that you do quite well is your videos like your tutorial videos on how to actually use what you build so I feel like the worst thing that can happen when you get a website is for you to be too scared to touch it yeah Um, and which is so common in clients that come to me Nikki we know that I've I've touched it wrong before so (laughs) So then you have me on the screen now. 
but that's I mean that's the other thing so having someone that you can sort of call and go help like yeah I think that that's the problem that you face when you do it try to do it yourself for example yeah, like totally if I had have built that website myself and then did something that just totally threw it off where it yeah. should be I would have to scramble to try and yeah. figure out how to fix it but yeah. I think pay like a lot of money like there's people out there right. that do that last minute stuff and it's expensive for sure so. yeah so I guess my number one tip would be not only having a professional create it for you but having a professional provide the support around using it so you know looking for someone who does provide that support as a back-end thing and being able to have those tutorials that you can sort of just jump into and look at them whenever you like yeah, because you realize actually I don't know how yeah. how to do this I haven't you know cloned a page before or whatever and be able to sort of look at it and go okay yeah no I know how to do that yeah yeah and I used to do the training at handover but I just found you know when you build a website everything's great you don't need to make any changes for a yeah. while because everything's great and then your business changes you need to change the copy and you're like oh what do I do again yeah. so yeah that those videos have been a game changer from my end as well because I have Saved to provide less support ongoing yeah and and again it's like that extra level of service that I do that just others in the industry don't so yeah that's been a big one for me too so I'm glad you like them yeah it's <laughs> great awesome Okay, well, that was so juicy. I feel like there were so many nuggets of goodness in there. Thank you so <laughs> much for having me. in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to just say like where people can find you online and, you know, if they wanted to work with you or they wanted to talk more with you, what would you recommend? Sure. So, I have an Instagram page at Social Law Co and Facebook page, but I also have an amazing website which Nikki built for me and it has a ability to be able to book yourself in for a free consultation at whatever time suits you in those available slots so feel free to get in touch that way or yeah any of those sort of social avenues is also fine it's one of my pet peeves now is like when I want to talk to someone and I have to go back and forwards on email with them I'm like Mm. no yeah (laughs) do not just get a booking calendar it's so easy (laughs) oh yeah like I literally had someone wanted to book a podcast with me the other day to go on their podcast and they're like oh what time works I'm like Uh, I'm not gonna go here (laughs) I think can I change my website tip I think my website tip is to put one of those things on there (laughs) I can't tell you how much time it has saved and even a competitor can book themselves in on your website just for a chat for a collaboration like it doesn't even have to be clients and the other thing it doesn't have to be public it can be like a private link that you yeah that's exactly it and I do have some private links like the podcast one for example where I can just grab that private link you can't find it on my website but I can send it to someone that I'm interested in bringing onto my podcast Mm -hmm. and when they fill in the details via that link I get their headshot their bio confirmation that they accept my podcasting terms similar to Nikki's if you're coming on this podcast you know set it up the same (laughs) yeah totally I'll pop the link to that as well because you we both use acuity that's the the one I recommend as well so I'll pop that in the show notes yes it's a beautiful thing yes (laughs) cool all right thank you so much Hegan I will see you over on the gram thank you Thank you for listening. If you love what I do here, you can connect with me on Instagram at Sealing Digital or at Women Wealth WordPress. I'm always up for a chat and I'm a complete open book. So feel free to email me with any questions or check out my website, womenwealthwordpress.com. Until next time, aim big.